we are in part three of our Life of Worship series, where we're going through the book of Samuel, both 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and I entitled today's message, Your Servant is Listening. And I want to just read a passage to you, just for you to listen to. It's not in Samuel, it's, it's actually in the book of John. I want you to listen to this. Some of you, it's easier to listen if you close your eyes and just listen, and if I read it in a British accent. So, no, I'm not really going to do that. All right, fantastic. Um, we just covered uh, the shepherd psalm. Remember that? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We went through that. This kind of ties into that a little bit when Jesus was talking about him being our good shepherd. I want you to listen, and then I want you to think, what are the natural questions that arise in your heart and mind after hearing this? We're going to address those in a moment. So listen to this. Jesus said, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. Now the watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. What is the first question that rises up in your heart? Maybe for some of you, the question is, am I a sheep? Is Jesus my shepherd? That is a brilliant question to ask. And maybe you're wondering about that. That is something I beg of you that you would settle today. Others of you, if you're paranoid like me, and you know that you're a Christian, your next question is, have I been listening and hearing God's voice, right? Did I miss it? I, I get that question a lot. I get a lot of questions about, uh, Lance, how do I hear God's voice? How do I track with God's voice? Or did I miss it? Did God talk to me maybe back in my 20s and somehow I missed it and now God doesn't talk to me anymore because I screwed it up and, and maybe I'm lost now? Are those questions that rise in your heart? Let's take it one step further. What if you did hear? What if God was clear? Most of us are so hung up on whether or not we would hear God that we haven't considered the next question. What if you did hear him? Then what? Are you going to do anything about it? Because there are some things that God has communicated very clearly. It's called the Bible. He wrote it down for us through authors in black and white. And yet for some of us, we are still considering this a suggestion, options. Oh, I might consider doing that. Just because God talks doesn't mean we are prepared to do anything about it. Our hearts need to adjust so that when God speaks... We respond with, yes, Lord. Not all of us are in that place. What was intriguing is that in order to prepare this message, I got off on a little tangent, right? I do that all the time in my studies. 
and I did a rather unusual study. I went through the Bible in a cursory glance. Obviously, I didn't grab every time. However, I leafed through from Genesis to Revelation. And I look through every time God personally called someone for the first time, audibly, either through the angel of the Lord or an angel, but directly from heaven, God's first contact with somebody, and he asked them to do something. I wanted to see, out of all those folks, how did they react? What if they did hear God clearly? There was no mistake that it was God. How did they interact with that information? I found 26. 26 people had their first contact recorded in Scripture where God directly asked them to do something. What was fascinating is out of those 26, only seven hesitated. All the rest did immediately what God asked of them. Seven hesitated. They hesitated because of doubts, fears, and some of the famous ones are who? Moses, right? I want you to go lead my people out. And then he began to go, but I can't talk right, and that's not really going to work for me, and I think you got the wrong guy. And Remember that? Gideon. Oh, mighty warrior, I want you to go deliver my people. And he's like, no, I can't do that. And he would argue back and forth with God. Those were only seven. Out of those seven, only two took it as far as to disobey the word of God. Now, who were they? What's the most popular one? Jonah. Everybody busts Jonah, right? Everybody knows that he screwed up, right? Because it says literally in the Bible, and God told him to go here, but he ran away from God and went the opposite direction. So, yes, he's going to have a bad reputation for that. The other one, however, is a little bit more subtle. That was Adam. When Adam was communicated to by God, he gave him three directives. Be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, and by the way, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of, the guard, of good and evil. Remember that? The tree of that. Well, he did. It took him a while. But he blatantly disregarded the command of God that was certainly clear. How would you react if God called you and told you something? I think he has told us a lot, and many of us are rather rebellious. Many of us don't do what he asked us to do. So I realize we all have a concern. God, speak to me, speak to me. If you'd speak to me, then I would do... Would you? We are about to study one of the most popular kind of Old Testament stories about a call of God in all the Bible. And I'm literally going to ask you for a show of hands if you've heard this story before. We're going to cover the story where young Samuel is in the tabernacle and God calls him and he runs to Eli. You remember that story? And he's like, oh, you called me. And Eli's like, no, I didn't. And he has to go back and God calls him again. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that story before. All right. The huge majority of you. Now, as we go through that, it's going to bring it home to us. I don't want you to make it distant. I want you to make it personal. The fill in the blank in front of you on your sheet that was handed to you at the front door is this. What God says matters most. What God says matters most. It's not an opinion. It is not one of many. 
It is the central issue when you're making a decision. It is always, what did God say? That's how we have to operate. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, if you haven't already. It's page 192 in the Bibles handed to you. That makes it a little bit easier. And as you're turning there, let me just encourage you with a word. When you read about Samuel, and remember, we've just come out of one of the darkest periods in Israel's history, the judges, right? 200 to 400 years of absolute kicking God out. I don't want anything to do with him. We can't hear God. Everything's miserable. By the time we get to this story, the leadership is completely useless. That's Eli. His sons are running the priesthood. They're completely corrupt. Everything is messed up. And then I told you last week, God loaded all the hope of Israel in one little kid named Samuel. As you read this story, I want you to realize this is you. You go, what do you mean? This world that we live in is dark, but we have been called the salt and light of the world. That means that God has packed in all his hope for the world through his church, his body, his believers, Your friends should not be ignorant. Your friends should not be in the dark about anything. Why? Because they have a light that's a friend of theirs. Your neighborhood should not be ignorant or not knowing because they have salt in the neighborhood. You are this little Samuel guy. You are the loaded up one that knows the gospel of God. And no, you don't know everything. You don't need to know everything. You know the gospel. You know your testimony. You know more than you need to know. And you have to share that. Please do not keep it silent. Because at the beginning of the story, Israel hasn't heard God in a long time. By the end of the story, because of one man, they hear God's word in full. In every believer here today is how God's going to convey his hope to the world. Amen? Let's dive into this. All right, so we're just going to read a little bit about this story, this familiar story. And then we'll dive in and see what God has to say to us. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Now in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Now one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Now the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you... Say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we be your servants that respond 
immediately to your call. May we be the ones that can hear what you're saying, your sheep that follow your voice, and Lord, that we would convey that message to all those around us. May we not remain silent. Change our hearts to be obedient and those that respond. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's talk about this. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Who is Eli? By the time we get to the end of his life, he has now led Israel for 40 years. He is also the high priest. He is supposed to be the guy who is igniting the fire that lights the lamp of Israel. And Israel is to be the lamp to the world. Israel is supposed to tell the rest of the world what God is like. In this regard, they have failed dramatically by this time of the story. Now it says that Samuel, the boy Samuel, ministered underneath this leader that was not very effective. You'll notice it did not completely dampen what God was doing with Samuel. Despite the dysfunction he was around, he was still engaging with God. Now, how old was he? They called him a boy. Well, a boy in the Bible can be anywhere from pretty much uh, 9 to 30. So it's a pretty wide gap. Now, it's likely most commentators or scholars believe that he was a teenager. Josephus, the ancient Jewish historian, puts him at 12. So he's somewhere between 12 and maybe 16. Now, I want you to be thinking, how did you react to God when you were a young teenager? And is this how you responded? Was this your heart? Is this how you minister now? We have teenagers here with us. Is this how you respond? Are you a servant of God in this way? So, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Now, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Here's what's intriguing. Out of that 200 to 400 year period, there are only five recorded revelations from God. That means for hundreds of years, most everybody heard nothing. God was completely silent. How do you operate in your life when you don't know what God wants of you? Well, that's an easy question because most of us don't read the Bible. So we're pretty clear that you can just go on in your life without knowing what God wants at all. But is that healthy? Is that right? They were making it up on their own. And that wasn't working. It moves on. It says, One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, he's now in his later 90s, was lying down in his usual place. That means in the uh, tabernacle compound, he had a little room. He was laying down in his bed. It says, Now the lamp of God had not yet gone out. That gives us a time frame. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. All right, we need to have a little bit of uh, a history lesson again. Let's say, um, I want you to picture this in your mind. So you walk up into an area and there's these doors. It is now a compound in the sense of it's not a big temple. It's not a fancy place. It used to just be a little tent location that they could fold up and move on through the desert. It's now become slightly more formal. So it has solid tenting around it. You can't go through any of the sides. 
It withstands a lot of the temperatures. It withstands a lot of things, keeps people out, and it has doors in the front that will lock. Inside that courtyard, when you go through the doors, you will see two items. You will see a large wash basin for ceremonial cleansing. You will also see a large barbecue thing for burnt offerings. Then you see a smaller little tent building. That's where the priests would stay and where the holy place was. You walk in through that curtain door and inside, once you get to the holy place, there were a few items. Now, you weren't allowed to just go hang out in there. Only priests were allowed in there. This is where Samuel slept. But in this holy place, when you start getting near the ark of God, you have some special items. It is tented inside with other things that are overlaid with gold. So it looks very shiny in there. The light emanates from one particular candle stick. There's actually seven candles on what we would look at as a candelabra or a menorah. Right? You know, you've pictured those kind of things. That is on one side and there's an altar of incense as well in there that they would light for the, the incense to rise up to God like prayers. On the other side of the room, there was a table that had unleavened bread on it, 12 pieces for the 12 tribes of Israel. All right? As you look down, you walk in the doors or walk through the curtain, there's another curtain on the other side of the room. It is heavy and embroidered on it are two cherubim. Behind that curtain is the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God. It is a box. We will talk more about it in two weeks, very detailed. It's an acacia wood box that's approximately four feet long, two feet high, two feet wide. Overlaid with gold, on top, pounded out in gold, are two cherubim with their wings outstretched towards each other. In the center of that was where God would allow his presence to dwell and he would communicate with Israel. Samuel was laying near that as an attendant of the ark, and an attendant of Eli who was aging. All right, we all got the scene? All right. Now that candlelight, by order of law of God, was to be lit as it started to get dark, because there was no lighting in there other than the candle. And if it went out, you were under penalty. So the priests were very ferocious about keeping it lit all night long. It cannot go out until sunrise. We have in the story, it says, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out, which means we've already gone a while in the night. They've already been asleep for a while. We're approaching morning. That's where our story begins. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. First thing I want you to notice is his heart. How would you have responded when, let's say, it's two in the morning, and you hear the old man call you, what are you going to do? Me? I'm going to pretend like I'm asleep and I didn't hear him. And I'm going to go, I hope he went to bed again, right? I'm sure he didn't need me right away. Okay, that is not the heart of Samuel. Samuel, he immediately got up and he ran to attend this man. That's pretty awesome for a teenager. He's really doing good. So he jumps up and he's a complete servant in his heart. Here I am, here I am, I'm right there. What do you need? Eli said, I didn't call you. Now he's obviously disturbed. Why are you waking me up? No, I didn't, I didn't call you. Go back, lie down. 
So he went and lay down. And again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli. Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I didn't call you. Go and lie down. Now, we have to ask a question along the way here. Is Eli slow? That's a, that's a fair question, right? As a matter of fact, a lot of commentators beat him up right here. And they said, out of all people who should know the voice of God, how about the high priest of Israel? However, I think that's unfair. As a matter of fact, I think this story makes Eli look exceptionally good. We know that he was an ineffective leader. We know that he was not handling things well. But this story makes him look good. I don't think that it's fair for him to... He didn't hear God. He has a kid running into his room saying he's hearing stuff. I'm sure that since he raised up Samuel from three years old, he's been like his dad that whole time. And you all know that kids come into your room for different reasons, right? So why would he assume that that has anything to do with God? He may just be thinking, hey, you're having some weird dreams. But he's starting to track on this stuff. Look at the third time. It, oh, it says, uh, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Okay, that does not mean anything more than Samuel knew everything about God. Samuel had been trained about God. Samuel was being trained as a priest. He's about to be called as a prophet. But bottom line is, he knows God from A to Z in facts. But he's never had God personally call his name. So how does he know what his voice sounds like? Right? You wouldn't know. Right? Now, we know that God speaks in a southern accent. Okay? He didn't know that. Okay? The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am. You called me. Now, you have to give him credit. He keeps jumping up and being really soft-hearted and going, man, this is driving me nuts. Why do you keep calling? You're just totally messing with me. Is it like boring around here that you have nothing else to do? Just because you can't sleep, old man, doesn't mean I can't sleep, right? Why do you keep messing with me? And then it says, then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. All right. A couple of points that I think are fascinating about this. Number one. How patient and kind was Eli? Because really, this is irritating. He's not receiving anything from God. And yet he could have completely rebuked the boy. In that day and age, the elders had all the power. So he could have said, you are really bugging me, kid. And you know what? I don't have a lot going for me right now, so I don't need you messing with me. He could have completely rebuked him and said, do not bother me any further. He could have said all kinds of things. He even throws in an endearing term, my son, I didn't call you. He's still very gentle and very patient with Samuel. That's pretty awesome. But the second thing and the one that I believe is more powerful is look how patient God is. Are you tracking with that? Because here's the real scenario. Let's play it out again. You're about to see that God is standing in Samuel's room. So here's the scenario. He's standing by Samuel's bed. Hey, Samuel, what's that? And he runs out of the room. God's like, where's he going? I'm right here. He waits for him to come back and lay down. He's like, all right, let's try this again. Hey, Samuel, he takes off again. So he's looking over at Michael. Michael's like, I don't know. I have no idea what he's doing, right? <laughs> Apparently, he's got some other idea. 
And maybe you want to try it again. All right? How many times are we going to do this? Okay, hey, Samuel. Oh, there he goes again. I knew it. He calls him four times. How cool is that? Because here's why it's personal to us. We all have this fear, I missed it. I missed it, I missed it, I missed it, I missed it. You know what's going to happen if you miss it and he really needs to get through to you? He'll call again. Why? Because he knows what we're like. He knows we're not tracking. He knows we don't know everything. He gets that. So listen to this. He calls this kid four times and watches him kind of go off. He doesn't then teleport in front of him and go, what are you doing? Why would you not listen to my voice? He literally stays in the room and waits for him to come back every time. He's just hanging out. God will wait you out. If God needs to use you, and maybe, yes, you were not paying attention. Maybe you were being rebellious. Maybe you completely screwed up a call of God. And maybe that time God said, all right, I'm going to have to use somebody else. But if he needs you to do it, he's going to get your attention. And he'll keep calling until you answer the phone. Does that make sense? That's pretty exciting to me. It's very comforting. Then the story moves on. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Two intriguing things about that. First, what were the instructions? Hey, Samuel, when God talks to you, the first thing you need to do is get in a humble state of mind. You call yourself servant. He's God. You're not. You do not say, what's up, God? You do not say, Hey, that's interesting. Why are you bothering me in the middle of the night? You could have called me at any time. You do not um, say, this is your voicemail. You don't say, you don't do any of that stuff, right? Okay. You say, speak Lord. Lord means master. He's in charge. Speak Lord. Your servant is listening and willing to do whatever you say next. That's the first interesting piece of it. Second interesting piece. What do you think Eli's thinking? You're the high priest of Israel and the leader for 40 years and God didn't talk to you. He talked to the kid down the hall. There's no sense of jealousy. There's no sense of frustration of great, nice. Okay, so what, you're just going to replace me? Do you remember that he's already received the prophecy that the priesthood would be ripped away from him and that his two sons would be killed by God? He's very clear he's not going to last. But when all of a sudden God taps the shoulder of the guy next to you, are you supporting him? Because Eli is. You've got to give this guy some credit. He literally trains the boy. He didn't try to lead him astray. He trains the boy on how to listen to God so that he would be able to move forward. I think Eli looks fantastic in this story. Have you ever had jealousy over God tapping someone else on the shoulder next to you? Have you ever been embarrassed because of how much you did not want them to succeed? Because God didn't call you to do the very same thing. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Can you imagine he didn't sleep? I mean, now that you know God's calling you, that's a big deal. It's a little hard to go ahead and take a little nappy, right? Okay, interesting piece about this. How did Samuel respond? He always said, here I am. Remember that? Now, it's cool because when God called Abraham, he used the exact same phrase. Here I am. 
very much of a, I'm right here, I'm out in the open, I'm ready to go, me, 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 kind of raising your hand thing, right? But there's also a story where the reverse is true. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, they ate of the fruit, what did they go do next when they heard God coming? They ran and hid. It says, and God came walking in the cool of the day, and he said, Adam, what? Where are you? Sin changed it from, here I am, to, hey, where are you? You're not here in front of me. Where are you at? Sin creates guilt, shame, condemnation, and we withdraw from God and we pull away. Does that make sense? Because we know that we're busted. We know that we're wrong. We know we are not as we ought to be. But then I read a fascinating story. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah receives a call from God. He's one of the great prophets. And he said, I saw the Lord seated on his throne. His glory was filling the temple. He saw cherubim and seraphim flying around the throne. He sees angels. He's engaging, sees the Son of Man... And he falls down, right, which is the appropriate response, falls down in a heap on the ground and says, I am ruined. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. He literally takes in, in light of purity, how damaged and gross that he is as a man and hits the deck. Now, that is an appropriate response to the holiness of God. And he just sits there cowering. In a heap on the ground. But then something amazing happens. Listen to this. Then one of the seraphs, one of those creatures, one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand. It was burning, which he had taken with tongs from the altar of God. With it, he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. What was the difference? From the heap on the ground to raising your hand. Grace. You understand that? Did you track with that? Now you're entering into the life of a believer. Here's why. Uh, Many of you, uh, I shouldn't say many of you, a few of you emailed me this last week and were very concerned about last week's message. Last week's message to you sounded like condemnation. It was brutal. It was harsh. I don't disagree with you. It was absolutely harsh. It was reminding us that we are idolatrous, that we are not worshiping accurately, that we're completely screwing up. God has given us so much stuff and we're not utilizing it. And I allow that rebuke to stand. However, the other side of the picture that we need to know is grace. Condemnation will leave you down huddled because it's the only appropriate response to a holy and righteous God. However, Jesus died on the cross for that sin. Jesus cleansed you. Jesus has washed you and made you whiter than snow. 
So what takes us from that guilt and shame to rise up and be so cleansed that we can be that little kid in class raising our hands like crazy and shouting, I know, I know, here, call me, call me, call me. Until you understand grace, you stay on the floor with your head buried. When you know grace, you join God in what God is doing. Does that make sense? Let's move forward. So the Lord came and stood there, calling, as at other times, Samuel. Samuel. He says it twice, very similar to what he did for Abraham, Moses, and Jacob. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. Meaning I'm about to rock the whole world. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. Let's pause there. Samuel probably does not know that prophecy. The prophecy was given to Eli directly. What was the prophecy? I'm going to pull the priesthood from you. I'm going to kill your kids. And you're done. Now that did get fulfilled 130 years from now. You go, wow, that, that's kind of long. I mean, you, he said... I'm going to do this to you, but then he doesn't do that for 130. The ultimate fulfillment came 130 years later. His kids die soon, but the other one dies three generations later. You go, well, I don't understand. Just when God gives a promise, because it's not immediate, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It'll happen. How do we know that? Well, let's make it practical. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But you know that you've sinned and you didn't die. Not yet. But you will. Unless it's been atoned for by Jesus. And we know the next part of that verse is what? But the gift of God is eternal life. Right? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't have it yet. But you will. We need to realize that when God says something is true, it is true regardless of how rapid it happens. Jesus has said, I'm coming to take you home. And it will happen. He said, Satan will not win. I'm going to shut him down and I'm going to put him away. And then we get to go have fun. Hasn't happened yet, but it will. These are the promises of God. We move on. For I told him, verse 13, God continues, that I would judge his family forever because of the sin that he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. So what do you get busted for? It's parenting. We all tracking on that one? Here's the saddest part of the story. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, we learn that Samuel's kids do the exact same thing. Why? Well, we can either read that and say, hey, even when you got the greatest dad in the world, you still have some kids that don't want to follow the Lord. Or, is it possible that he grew up underneath Eli and started duplicating the parenting that he saw? But his kids don't follow the Lord either. 
We'll go on to verse 15. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Wouldn't you imagine? Wouldn't it be cool to be a prophet? No, not really. Why? What if you got bad news? He's never had God speak to him before. And the first message is your boss is going to die. That's a horrible idea. It's your practical dad. Regardless of what he's like, he's your dysfunctional dad. And so you're not cool with that. And then you get the message. He didn't go talk to Eli again. He talked to you. And now you got to go tell that message. So he's busy doing everything else. Oh, look at me. I'm unlocking the doors. It takes him like five hours, right? He's completely trying to avoid the situation. You think he's going to get away with that? No. Eli knows God's talking to him. So Eli's going to bust him. So he walks up and says, Eli called him and says, Samuel, my son, Samuel said, here I am, right? What was it that he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Wow, that's another thing that makes Eli look really good. What was your response if that would have been the message to you? Would it have been, after all I've done for you and all this other stuff, right? We always have all these things that we're going to fight against God. When we find out that he's displeased with our behavior. What did Eli say? He's the master. He's going to do what he's going to do. May it be so. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of his words fall to the ground. That means every prophecy that he gave was true to a T. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, that is the northernmost town of Israel and 150 miles to the southernmost town of Israel, all of Israel recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. We begin with the word of the Lord was rare and nobody knew what God wanted. And we finished with all of Israel knowing exactly what God expected. Why? Because one young servant said, here I am. Is that you? Are you that servant? Are you the one that responds immediately to what God says and carries it out? With all diligence. Some of us need to take the word of God more seriously. Some of us need to realize God has talked. He has spoken to you. He has given you promises. He has given you challenges. And yes, he has rebuked us. We must sit under that and do something with it. We are not going to have a closing video. I'm going to give you a closing challenge. Here's what I would like to do. I would like for you, after you sign up on the city as you leave, we have a running discussion stream that we started specifically for this weekend, which was, what do you think God is doing this year in the year of worship here in this congregation? Why are we asking that question? Because I believe that God speaks to all of his people, not just the little leader guy standing up front. 
I would like to know from all of our hearts what we think is going on. That way, collectively, we can begin to sift and hear the voice of the Lord together. So I'm going to ask you, after you log on and you are accepted in and you go into the city, I want you to find that discussion stream. And I want you to pray about it, and I want you to comment on it. Just throw up. You can throw up one little line. You can throw up a whole paragraph, however you view it. But I want you to share with us what you think God may be doing in our midst. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for constantly coming to us time and time and time again that we might hear your voice. Lord, we want to be able to have the hearts that can hear you. And we desperately want to be servants that say yes, Lord. We submit ourselves to you afresh. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your hope that you have put in us and given to the world through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.